Hey guys, we're going to continue our series in Acts. If you have your scriptures this morning, turn to Acts chapter 3. A very appropriate scripture that we have that we're going to handle this morning, especially in light of this being uh, Palm Sunday, the Sunday that the Lord made his way into Jerusalem. One of the few times in scriptures that um, when you look at the Mark passage, actually just just hold an axe there and I'll, I'll read this to you. When when the triumphal entry, entry in Mark chapter 11, and it's also recorded in Luke, it talks about Jesus sending two disciples to go get a colt and he walk and he and he rides into Jerusalem on this colt. Which is a which is a switch from how you see Christ moving in the Gospels, moving in the sense of in bodily form. In bodily form, he walks. He walks a lot. But now he rides. Why does he ride? What do you think? Why would he ride into Jerusalem? Could it be? that he rode into Jerusalem because in that day conquering kings rode on a horse. Kings, period, rode on a horse. When Jesus sat on the colt to come into Jerusalem, people said, Hosanna. He was proclaiming and saying that he was a king. A king in wartime, they say, rode in on a prancing stallion. But in peace, you ride in on a colt. Jesus came to bring what? Peace. To tear down the wall of hostility between us and the Lord. The wrath of God was upon us because of our sin. And Jesus, in his death took care of that wrath. So this week, we are entering into Passion Week, and we celebrate a very important day. But this scripture that we have, by the way, when Jesus came in to Jerusalem, he came to the temple. Right around the area that we're talking about today, where this Acts 3 has, where we're going to be talking about this this beggar at the gate of beautiful. The, The gate of beautiful is right outside the temple. And it's a beautiful, there's a couple of questions that I, I think it's important for us to answer. Not you, us, together. As followers of Christ, there's a couple of questions that I want us to consider this week as we think about Passion Week. And they come from this scripture. Let's read it together. Follow with me along in, in, in Acts chapter 3 there where it says in verse 1, look here. One day Peter and John who were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, and that was three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who, from those going into the temple courts. Verse three, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him. As did John. And then Peter said, look at us. 
So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. And he certainly did have Christ. Despite the crazy story of Peter, he still had Christ that he could give. And it said in the, it says in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Verse seven, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And we'll stop there, but the precursor for next week is I love this next image here in verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John. So the beggar, after being healed, after running around and jumping, after claiming all the great things about the Lord and being healed, he went back and apparently held right on to Peter and John. What a beautiful image. First question I want us to answer this week is this question. As it relates to this story and we think about this story, how would we answer this uh, this question? Who are we? And as it relates to that story, who are we in that story? What? Okay. The beggar? The onlookers? Are we Peter and John? Are we Jesus? It's one of the most important questions because that question, as far as it relates to, well, as you'd hear it in the world, existentialism, existentialism, how do we exist? Who are we? The Bible gives no hints. It's just straight up truth to tell us who we are. Well, who we are is we are the crippled beggar. That's who we are. Now, follow along with me now, because that's only the beginning of the story. This man was born a cripple. In chapter 4, it refers to him as being uh, almost 40 years old, this cripple. He had spent almost his entire life begging at the gate called Beautiful. He actually had friends that carried him every day to the gate so that he could beg for his livelihood. It apparently was a very good place to beg because people going into the temple were probably more apt to give money there than people going into the local brothel. So it probably was a good decision on his part to sit outside the temple. Maybe he felt like those people would be more compassionate, in some way give him more money. But why in the world... Do we see this theme throughout all of the Gospels of these crippled, blind people being healed? What in the world is going on with that? Is it just out of context? Is it just just because we are we God wants us to know these stories? I think there's a lot more to it. Maybe God puts stories like this in the Scripture to continue to remind us of our condition. 
Did you hear that? Maybe God puts stories like this in the, in the scripture to continually remind us of our condition because as we live this life, it's very easy for us to forget our condition, to forget the fact that we're crippled from birth because of sin, that we are completely and utterly incapable unless there is some divine wreck that takes place on God's behalf, that we're beggars in need of healing every day. It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts to say that because it puts us in such an unbelievably vulnerable place in our lives. It puts us, it defines us as a people of need. It defines us more in a prone position than a standing position, the world that we live in. You follow? It hurts. It's hard. It's hard for us to hear that we could actually be this person. But it's one of the crucial questions of Passion Week that we have to really get in touch with when we think about who are we? Who are we as it relates to this whole thing? What's our place in the story? Crippled from birth, incapable. Our condition. Who are we? I love this this week. I found this. It says, King Arthur's apology. This was King Arthur's apology for being a man. Listen to this. I suppose I had better go away and drown myself. I am cheeky. Insignificant. You thought Austin Powers made cheeky, didn't you? I am cheeky. Insignificant. Ferocious. Stupid. And impolitic which basically means unwise, imprudent, indiscreet. It hardly seems to be worth our going on, he said. He had quite a grasp of his condition, didn't he? Do we? Do we? Are we aware? Are we aware if it weren't for the Lord miraculously intervening in our lives? We would be begging on the doorstep of this life. And when I say begging, I'm not necessarily so sure it means the physical begging that I'm, that you would think. But begging at the doorstep of life for meaning, for something that has reason to it, or something that's not insane. That's what I mean. And that's what people who are without Christ, feel, despite the fact that they may communicate the opposite to you. And the reason why we need to have a community, and many thereof, on mission with these people, because they are looking for meaning. They are looking for reason. They are looking for salvation. They are looking for a coming, for a king. And he has come and he lives in our lives. And the miraculous nature of the gospel is that in the Old Testament, he lived in the tabernacle. And now where does he live? He lives in your heart. You are the temple now. I am the temple. It's a miraculous miracle. But his condition, as you see this, as you dig into this and you think about the question of who we are, his condition or our condition do you know what it makes us? 
It makes us mercy receivers. That's what it makes us. That's all it makes us. Our condition literally makes us mercy receivers. We could in no, no more lift, lift a paralyzed limb unless it were for God. We are mercy receivers. We are receivers in every sense of the word. And it, yet, to follow this, it is the hardest thing in the world for even us today to receive anything. Think about that. Think about that. I have such a difficult time receiving gifts from people or love from people or words a lot of times from people. Have you ever had somebody look at you and the moment was so beautiful if it was your daughter or a friend and it was right there in front of you and they actually were saying something so beautiful to you that you had to turn away? We have such a hard time receiving things. And maybe it's one of the hardest, it's one of the things that we continue like to wrestle God with on this earth is we still have a hard time being receivers of what all that you've done to grasp it. But that condition now, and I want to remind you, that condition, our broken condition, is only a small part of the story, right? Because if we're born as beggars, if we're born as beggars, then we're made in Christ to be what? To be worshipers. And that's what took place with this young man's life. Born a beggar, but because of the name of Christ and what Christ did, he became a worshiper. Mark 11, as Carly, we read this morning on the triumphal entry, it says this, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It's the same thing, a lot of the same words you get when Jesus was born. Where before we were poor because of Christ, now we're what? Rich. Where before we were beggars, now we are sons and daughters. Where before we were helpless, now we have help. Where before we were hopeless, now we have what? Hope. Where before we were weak, now we are what? Strong. Where before we were crippled and half and prone, now we are made to walk and whole and standing. That's the gospel. Now here's a few things to challenge us with here. What does this mean to us? What does all this theology mean to us? Am I more like a beggar or am I more like a worshiper? Can you imagine what would have happened if our crippled friend, after he was healed, had gone back to begging at the gate? Wouldn't that have been like weird? 
when people have said, hey, weren't you, you're healed. But isn't that what I do? Isn't what I do like this? I, I don't want to worship, but I, I want to go back to my old ways of begging. I want to live in my crippled condition. I want to tell everybody about it. I want people to feel empathy for me in it. To go back to the place of brokenness and begging because of our fears, because of our failures, because of our faults. There's many of you here who believe a lie. One of the lies you believe is because you failed so many times you could never be used of God ever again. And I want you to know that you're wrong because it's not about you and me. It's about the riding king over all the earth that lives inside of your life. Your failures don't define you. Your faults don't define you. Your, your, your struggles and your addictions don't define you. The king living inside your life defines you. You can't say any longer, well, God couldn't possibly allow me to lead a small group of women here in Nashville or, 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 or people. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I haven't, I haven't been good enough to do that. Welcome to the club, by the way. It's called the club of no goods. None of us are good enough to lead a small group. None of us are good enough to tell our neighbor about Jesus because the night before, 80% of us looked at porn. <laughs> so if that were the truth, then how in the world could the next day I talk about Jesus? Well, the miracle of the gospel is, is that God works through those kinds of people. And I don't even understand it. We, like I've said to you before, we'll have a big conversation about that on the other side. But God didn't make it where you had to run on the little rat wheel. And by the way, for those of you that are thinking, oh, this is kind of cool then. I can just go out and sin. Well, read Romans. This is what you need to do there. You don't even need to listen to me on that deal. The idea isn't so we, we, we can sin so we can have, or we can do these things so we can have an excuse to sin. That's not my point. But my point is this, is that a lot of our foundation in working and a lot of our, our thoughts are kind of, they're kind of wrong thoughts because we, we kind of let our, 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 this condition of brokenness kind of trump everything. Well, it's because of our faults and we can't do this and we can't do that. And before you know it, we haven't done anything. And all those things that I'm talking about there are part of what you would call the smaller story. See, the beggar part of this, this part, this is the small story. And on earth, we do have our small story. We do have it. But what's the big story? The big story is what Christ has done to make me this. This, that's the big story. That story trumps that story, the small story. So I'm trying to live in the bigger story. I'm trying to tell the bigger story. I'm trying to understand how what God has done to make me a worshiper and I'm not a beggar anymore. Are some of us, I guess the question would be, are you living like a beggar? Do you understand who you are? 
Do you understand your identity? A young lady walked in my office this week. I just, it was, it was so cool because she came in and it was, I, there, there wasn't an appointment. And she walks in, she goes, she, I said, I said, uh, how you doing? And I went to get this book and I heard her begin to cry. And I said, I said, are you all right? And she said, uh, no, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. <laughs> don't worry about me. I'm going, you're kidding me, right? She goes, well, I, I know you're busy, right? I said, have a seat. She, she sat down and she told me a story about her life and about how she didn't feel that she could academically do the thing that she needed to do. I don't want to give you too much because I don't want you to be thinking about who she is as much as what I'm trying to talk with you about. And it's this. She was absolutely racked by fear in her life. The fact that she couldn't make her deadlines academically. And she actually believed something that that is what defined her as a person. I can't make these expectations for this person or that person or this person. Therefore, I'm a total screw up. I'm a total screw up. And I looked at her and I asked her this. This only came from the Lord. And I said, who are you? You know how she, you know she, how she answered? She couldn't even get it out. But she answered, she said this, I'm a daughter of the king. And I said, exactly. And you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. That's the big story. That's the beautiful story. I loved it. I've told you this before. I loved it when I came home and my, my dad called me son. He said, hi, son. My mama called me, hi, son. I love calling my daughters daughters and using all of their names. So I want them to know they have an identity in our home and God wants you to know that you have an identity in his home. That's the big story. You're not, you're not defined any longer by your condition. And that's what's beautiful. That's what's miraculous. So that's the first question. The second question I want you to consider this week. Pray about it. Read. Read this week through the Gospels. Read through the Passion Week in the Scriptures. The second question is this. We can relate in this Scripture to who we are. But the other question, these kind of go hand in hand, is who's the, uh, who's the hero of the story? Okay, we know, don't we? It's not Peter and John. How about this one? This could go right along with this. Who's the healer? Is it is it Peter and John? Who's the great healer? Have you answered that question in your life? Who's the great healer? Is it your meds? We 
successfully created an entire evangelical culture who are going to handle pain through medication. Many of them are hidden here in front of me right now. and Apparently we have bought into something. I don't know all of what it is, but the way that we're going to handle life when we get down and depressed and feel pain is we're going to call a doctor, not the right doctor, and we're going to get a pill that is in some way going to help us not feel pain. I'm not here to sermonize on that today. I am here to challenge you on that today. Are our pills our healers? Maybe it's our therapist. Is our therapist our healers? Will our therapist heal us? If we, if we spend enough time with him, if we spend enough time understanding all the things in our life and why we do what we do, will it heal us? Will it ultimately heal us? Our healers are not our self-help books that if you can somehow get all your finances in order, you'll be all great and everything will be fine. Is that true? Our healers aren't even the church. This, the church isn't healing. It's, it's filled with too many sinners like me. I carry a healer. You carry a healer. Jesus heals. When he came to earth and was born, it was in a borrowed stable. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about our healer today. And as I close, when he was on the water with his disciples, it was in a borrowed boat. And when he ate the Passover meal, it was in a borrowed room. And when he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it was on a borrowed colt. He didn't have anything. And yet he had everything. If you're sitting there today and you may be able to say the wrong thing, the, the, the statement of, I don't have much. Peter said to him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I'll give you. What Peter had was everything. Because he had Christ. It's really that simple, by the way. You can sit there and say, I've heard that before. But it really is that simple. The treasures of the Lord are found in Jesus He didn't have anything, and yet he had everything, everything we need. And just at the mention of his name, people can be healed. Isaiah 53 says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He's referred to in Luke as this healer, almost as people would refer to him, and you've heard this word, the great physician. Think about that for a minute. Think about God being the great physician. I don't like going to the doctor. Uh, Maybe it's a man thing. I don't like that gown they make you put on. I just have problems with it. I really struggle with the slit in the back. Um, uh, Maybe it's because it makes me really feel vulnerable. Um, it just doesn't feel right, and I don't like that place. The whole place drives me batty. I just walk in, and I immediately feel like a little trophy-sized person 
just walking around, you know. The nurse comes in and she goes, hello, Mr. Walker. Here's your gown. And I look at it and go, put me to death. This is the last, these are the last of my days. Lord, take me now. Rapture me instantly. Beam me up. I know more than doctors. I'll just say it. I know more. My wife gets mad at me that I know more. She, I just know more. And I don't know more. But I know more. You follow? I know better. How many of us have ever been, when I was a little, 16, when I was 16 years old, I broke my knee playing football, they put a cast on it. After three weeks, I was walking around, and my friend had got together this big party. We are going to go play flag football with a bunch of girls, a couple of the girls I really wanted to, I really had interest in. Let's just say that. And I, you, don't, you don't necessarily court girls with a big old ugly cast, although you can have them come and sign it, and that's kind of a fun thing. Anyway, I went out to the garage and cut my cast off. And I, because I know better. I didn't need it three weeks. Stiff, like it's not attractive. It's like kind of like the surgical gown. It's the same thing. It's it's ugly. So I cut it off, and of course I don't have to listen to the doctor. I won't tell you the rest of the story. It wasn't good. It wasn't good because I got in a lot of trouble with my mom, and then we had to go back and pay for the cast again, and blah blah blah, and you know. But I say that to you because it's the same with my relationship with the Lord. Um, I don't like vulnerability with my Lord. And I don't like vulnerability with you. I don't like my gown. I don't want you seeing my backside emotionally. I don't. And neither do you. And as a result of us kind of believing this, We're not going to be truly in community together. We truly can't let anybody else know what's really going on in our lives. Because we don't want to be vulnerable. And to tell you the truth, I want to be sovereign of my own life. Do you? You believe you can run your life better than God? I do. Somebody said this this last week. Let's start thinking of ourselves as much less sovereign and self-directed. Then we may begin to see our need for healing. It's true. There's a friend at uh, downtown. His, uh, he's a dermatologist, and he came and he said to me, he says, how old are you, Joel? And I said, um, well, I'm 48. And he says, he says have, you ever, have you done the, 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 you know, the once-over checkup thing? And I said, what's that? Now remember, you got, you're already seeing the problems. He's a doctor. I'm scared of doctors. You know, I just don't want to do it. I know more than them, right? He says, have you had that once over? And I said, what do you mean? What's the once over? And he says, well, you just come into my office. Come on, I'll take care of it. And he says, I just look over your, your, from head to toe and I see if you have, you know, cancers or something. And I said, cancers or something? I says, what do you think? Plural cancers? Could, could I have plural cancers? What about just one, like, little melanoma or something? Like Uncle Buck, you know, that's that. I mean, you know, what about that? And he goes, well, you know, it's just, I just, don't don't worry about it. If it's warts or whatever, you know, just come on in and do this. And I says, oh, yeah, uh-huh. 
And he said, he said, uh, he, he cornered me. He said, he said, that was really good. And I said, what? And he says, well, he said, you're just like the majority of men. Uh, they're different than women. When women come in, women will come in and see us if they have a little thing on their skin. They'll just go, oh, I'm really worried about this. Men won't come in until they have this giant, <laughs> this giant thing that's sticking outside of their head. You know what I'm saying? Well, his point was that apparently men won't come and see the doctor, the dermatologist, until they're at that ultimate point of desperation. And this is how I want to close today with you. When you look at the Gospels and when you look at this healing today, you usually see Christ healing in response to human desperation. Did you hear what I said? You usually see Christ healing in response to human desperation. What area in your life or in my life are we desperate? Usually it will be an area that we feel a lot of pain in right now. Another person walked into my office this week. We had a beautiful conversation about the gospel. And she said this. She said she finally looked at her husband this week and said, I have no idea what to do. And he looked at her and said, I have no idea what to do. That's called desperation, and it's probably the perfect place that God wants to have them in. Not the place to run from, but the place to embrace. What are the areas of life that you're desperate in? Your job, your addictions, your fears? Do you know why desperation is so important? It's important because repentance is the friend of desperation. Desperation leads us to the place of utter powerlessness. And it is in that place that we kneel before a triumphant king and ask for forgiveness, cry for mercy, give up control, and seek help from outside ourselves. Somebody has said this, pain can be a prison. It can be the enemy of all communion. It alienates us from, the, from conversation about Jesus Yet it is exactly what God uses to heal us. Are you in pain this morning? Eight out of ten of us are. What will you do? If you're like most people, you will be content to live in isolation in your pain. And nobody will know, including your wife, including good friends. Does anybody know about your pain? Are you desperate enough to talk with another brother and sister that could possibly pray with you in your desperation? Jesus loves desperate people. Hmm. Are we desperate? Because he's our great physician. He's the one who can heal us in our desperation. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for reminding us who our healer is. Thank you that these apostles spoke your name. And we've spoken it today. We speak the name of Jesus in this place. I speak the name of Jesus into all of our lives this morning. Into the pain that many of us are racked with. Into the confusion. Into the struggle. We speak the name of Jesus. Just the name is powerful enough. We say Hosanna. 
we worship you and we speak the name with amazement and wonder and we ask you to be our great physician as we struggle here on this earth. Lord, give us the strength to not run away from you and to not run away from our friends. Give us a continual understanding of our brokenness and yet tell your big story over it. We praise you for anything today that took place that was a spiritual thing because it's all about what you are doing, who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen.